Welcome to the Restructure Podcast. This is your host, Little Jerry. I am very excited about what we have in store for the next couple of weeks for the Restructure Podcast. This has been a long time in the making, and I'm very excited to announce that we are beginning a series. And I'm going to name this series Tackling the Tulips. And for those of you that are familiar with the phrase or the terminology of tulip, you'll know what that means. We are going to embark on a discussion, a discussion that we shouldn't be scared to have. In the 1920s, there was a song that was written, and it was called Tiptoe Through the Tulips. And the the idea has nothing to do with the doctrine of what we're going to talk about today. But this song was made popular later on and made a novelty by a little bit eccentric and odd man by the name of Tiny Tim. Many of you have heard of him, not the Tiny Tim from Scrooge uh, or A Christmas Carol. Uh, But this is the Tiny Tim that when you look him up, you say something is off with that guy. And we are not here to judge, but this song implies the idea of tiptoeing, sneaking out the window, and tiptoeing through the tools, being quiet. Uh, Fast forward, and there is a mindset today that hits home in the independent Baptists, or maybe just not the independent Baptist. It hits home in our modern Christianity in theology, that we have come to a place where we don't talk about certain doctrines. We don't talk about certain things. For the next few podcasts, we are going to discuss the tulips. Now, we're not going to discuss flowers. That would be crazy. But we are going to discuss this controversy that goes back to the early 1600s in the Netherlands. There was a man by the name of Arminius. And this man was rebuttaling the idea of Calvinism. And so as these, this started to come to fruition, these churches that were Arminian churches went against the Reformed doctrine of Calvinism. And the Orthodox churches at the time began to come up with this idea of the five points of Calvinism. This is just history in the very small nutshell. Now, when I say Calvinism, I'm talking about doctrines that people attribute or give this man by the name of John Calvin, who was born in the early 1500s, a hundred years before this controversy really came to fruition. John Calvin was a French theologian. He was born in 1509. He died in 1564. Uh, I would say that's a short life. But he wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion. This book is thousands of pages of philosophy and doctrine, and many people tackling reading this book, you have to take some time and listen to it. And I know that some of you that are listening to me talk right now, you would say, I never want to read that book. 
we have been taught to not even ask questions, to not discuss this. And so when we do have a discussion with someone who disagrees with us, it turns into this nasty debate. And we end up where we are today. I remember when I was first born again. I was 20 years old, and I remember hearing this term Calvinist. I didn't know what it meant, and I asked many preachers about it, and I was handed this book. It was more of a pamphlet um, that rebuttaled all five points of Calvinism. The way that it was rebuttaled was in a very shallow way, and in, in a way that almost made a blanket statement and just said, everybody that believes strongly in the doctrine of election or sovereign grace, uh, these people line up with this uh, fanatical or fatalist mentality. Now, by all means, am I not giving you my input on this subject, but I am going to attempt for the next few podcasts to let us look at this objectively. In fact, God has allowed us to have a discussion with two pastors that we are going to uh, bring up the next podcast. I'm very excited about this. This is going to be the next three weeks probably that we are going to listen to this discussion and very excited, level-headed. And I know some of us are scared about that, but please do not be scared. This is not a podcast to tell you what to believe. This is a podcast to encourage the believer to dive into truth and to study out truth, not to run from it. So the name Tackling the Tulips, it doesn't imply that I'm going to tackle Calvinism and tear it apart or I'm going to embrace Calvinism. Um, this is simply just a play on words from a song written in the 1920s. So let me have a little bit of fun with this, Tackling the Tulips. And this podcast, though it is short in time, hopefully will lay the groundwork for what we are going to dive into uh, next week. John Calvin, let's talk about him. John Calvin was a French theologian. He was a young eight- or nine-year-old boy when Martin Luther had nailed his 95 thesis. So Martin Luther, much older than him, and it started what people call the Reformation. A lot of people, a lot of preachers, a lot of people came out of the Catholic Church. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, well, we, our lineage was not in the Catholic Church. We were allowed. There's always been Bible believers during this time. There's been people separate from the Catholic Church. That is not our lineage. I understand. I understand that argument. But I would like to say it was a good thing for someone to come out of false doctrine and embrace faith and grace. And so with that being said, looking at the positive, taking in the meat, spitting out the bones not just embracing because a preacher says so or, or because a preacher says not to, uh, but embracing because of truth, diving into doctrine. The next few weeks are not going to be with the intent of trying to get you on one side of the issue or the other. The next few podcasts are just to encourage us to dive into Scripture together. And I believe what you are going to see are some men 
some preachers, ministers, that by the grace of God have been able to love each other, and in that love and sincerity know that there are some doctrinal differences that do not define them. There are doctrinal differences that do not push them away from each other, but together they're able to dive into a discussion. Whether or not you agree with this method, that's fine. In the early 1600s, like I said, because of Arminius leading many people away from these doctrines of election or the perseverance of the saints and the limited atonement, these people came out with the five points. John Calvin never wrote down five points of his own theology. This was given to him later, a hundred years after his birth, uh, over a hundred years. I'd like to briefly go over those five points, just so we can understand as we dive into this. As we start with tulip, we start with the word T. It is an acrostic that lays out these five main dividing lines, if you'd like to call it that, I don't know, but five main points of what John Calvin taught. That first point is total depravity of man. Now, the definition of depravity is the condition of being totally bad or evil. I put the word totally in there because of total depravity. That would be the definition, the condition of being totally bad or evil. Now, I would like to cite where I'm getting some information about the five points of Calvinism. I'm going to read this to you straight from desiringgod.org. I'm not promoting I'm also not tearing apart this preacher. This is the website of John Piper. Many of you know that name, and if you don't, that is fine. Uh, he is just a man, but he is a well-known man in today's circles, and he is an open Calvinist. So I would like to read from his definitions. I'm not going to give him definitions of what my opinion is or is not. Okay, so now that that's established, total depravity, this is what it says. When we speak of man's depravity, we mean man's natural condition apart from any grace exerted by God to restrain or transform man. The totality of that depravity is clearly not that man does as much evil as he could do. There's no doubt that man could perform more evil acts towards his fellow man than he does. But if he is restrained from performing more evil acts by motives that are not owing to his glad submission to God then even his virtue is evil in the sight of God. Romans 14.23 is what he cites. This is a radical indictment of all natural virtue. An example might make this radical indictment of much human goodness clear. Suppose you're the father of a teenage son. This is from DesiringGod.org. You remind him to wash the car before he uses it to take his friends to the basketball game tonight. He had earlier agreed to do that. He gets angry and says he does not want to. You gently but firmly remind him of his promise and say that's what you expect. He resists. You say, well, if you're going to use the car tonight, that's what you agreed to. He storms out of the room angry. Later, you see him washing the car, but he's not doing it out of love for you or out of 
a Christ-honoring desire to honor you as his father, he wants to go to the game with his friends. This is what constrains his obedience. I put obedience in quotes because it is only external. His heart is wrong. This is what I mean when I say that all human virtue is depraved if it is not from a heart of love to the Heavenly Father. Some of you may say, I don't know what you just read. What he is saying that even good tasks that we could do are still wrong, are still evil. They're depraved. Okay, this is the definition. This is what John Piper says about total depravity. Now, he goes on to give a lot more, but for the sake of time, I think you get the gist. Total depravity of man. Now, the you... So we have total depravity of man. We have you being unconditional election. This is what his website says. God's election is an unconditional act of free grace that was given through his son, Jesus, before the world began. By this act, God chose before the foundation of the world those who would be delivered from the bondage of sin and brought to repentance and saving faith in Jesus. So unconditional election simplest terminology. It is like unconditional love that God, before the foundation of the world, has chosen those who would believe without any condition. That that is an unconditional agape-type love. That is the explanation given. Then we come to limited atonement, the L. The atonement of Christ is sufficient for all humans and effective for those who trust him. It is not limited in its worth or sufficiency to save all who believe, but the full saving effectiveness of the atonement that Jesus accomplished is limited to those for whom that saving effect was prepared. The availability of the total sufficiency of the atonement is for all people. Whosoever will, whoever believes, will be covered by the blood of Christ. And there is a divine design in the death of Christ to accomplish the promises of the new covenant for the chosen bride of Christ. Thus, Christ died for all people, but not for all in the same way. This is the explanation given again from DesiringGod.org. John Piper, okay, this is, you can look this up for yourself. Limited atonement. And the simplest term possible, if I could define this, it would be saying that that Christ died for the redemption of the elect. And I believe that I'm saying that correctly. That the idea of limited atonement is not saying that Christ's blood was not powerful enough to save, but that it was limited to the elect, those that would believe. Okay, So we have T, we have U, L, and then we are going to go to I as we spell out the word tulip. As we come to this irresistible grace, that's what I stands for, this means that the resistance that all human beings exert against God every day is wonderfully overcome at the proper time by God's saving grace for undeserving rebels whom he chooses freely to save. So what they're saying irresistible grace is, is that man will not choose God, and so as God's grace is thrown upon them, thrust upon them, and I believe that as you read Scripture, you would say, yes, God's grace is undeserving. It is not earned. It is a wonderful gift. But they would take it to the point of saying 
that irresistibly, we cannot be irresistible to the grace of God, that His grace will overcome our depravity, will overcome who we are, uh, who, what our choices are. Because as we start with total depravity, then we would say that we're so depraved, we can't even choose for ourselves in that good state. So God's grace overcomes that. Thus, we, do not irresi- we cannot resist the grace of God. So I, I hope that makes sense. This is very uh, small explanation of this terminology, okay? I hope I have not losing anybody. And then we come to the last. So we have T-U-L-I, and then we spell out tulip with P, okay? P, perseverance of the saints. This is what John Piper says. We believe that all who are justified will win the fight of faith. They will persevere in faith and will not surrender finally to the enemy of their souls. This perseverance is the promise of the new covenant obtained by the blood of Christ and worked in us by God himself, yet not so as to diminish, but only to empower and encourage our vigilance so that we may say in the end, I have fought the good fight, but it was not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So what he is saying is that the elect will persevere to the end. They will not fall. So if we were to sum up in one way, it's almost impossible to do this, okay? But if we could sum up almost in one thought, it is that God is big, man is small. And we would all agree with that. And that is common ground. God is big, God is holy, God is pure, God is just, and man is fallible, and man is depraved. We, we do see that. We see that, man, we are sinful and wicked, and we are evil. So we could pull from this. So as we go to the other side of this, and I'm not giving an argument. I'm just laying the groundwork for what we're going to see. We come to talking about the other side, this rebuttal that took place in the 1600s in the Netherlands by a man named Jacobus Arminius. Jacobus Arminius was a theologian in the Dutch Reformed Church who opposed the strict Calvinist teaching on predestination. He began to question some of these points that we talked about. And though these points were not made, he began to question the idea of the points. He he began to question election. He questioned perseverance of the saints. And so later on, we have a rebuttal to that, I guess. And if we could keep it simple this way, I guess we would talk about the five points of Arminianism. And again, I'm just sharing this. This is a contrast to uh, the five points of Calvinism. The five points of Arminianism, or of Jacobus Arminius, uh, would go as follows. Human free will. That's point number one. This states that though man is fallen, he is not incapacitated by the sinful nature and can freely choose God. His will is not restricted and enslaved by his sinful nature. So kind of a rebuttal to total depravity. The first point of Arminianism would say that we have a free will, that that choice, we can choose God, and it is not overcome. We are capable of making a choice. 
uh, a total depravity would say you're incapable and your choice would be that of none effect. But the five points of Arminianism would say, first off, that we do have a choice. The second point would be conditional election. A simple way of defining this, God chose people for salvation based on his foreknowledge, where God looks into the future to see who would respond to the gospel message according to the foreknowledge of God. And then they would go with universal atonement. These five points I found at carm.org. Universal atonement. The position that Jesus bore the sin of everyone who ever lived. So contrary to limited atonement, an Arminian would say that the whole world, that, God, that Jesus died for the whole world, even for those who will not or would not believe. So you could see the contrast here in the five points between a Calvinist and an Arminian. Then we come to the fourth point, resistible grace. This is a rebuttal to irresistible grace. Resistible grace states the teaching that the grace of God can be resisted and finally beaten so as to reject salvation in Christ, saying that we can resist the grace of God. The last point of an Arminian would say this, instead of perseverance of the saints, it would read fall from grace. The teaching that a person can fall from grace and lose his salvation. Now, I will say this objectively. I have met Calvinists that do not believe in all five points of Calvinism. I have met Arminians that do not believe in all five points of Arminianism. I've met those that would call themselves more Arminian that do not believe you can lose your salvation. I have also met Calvinists that would say that you can resist the grace of God. So in these realms, we're not making a black and white or a, a, a definitive line here to divide. And if there is something that the devil wants to do, that the powers and enmities of this world want to do more than anything, is to divide God's people. Now, we could come to the conclusion that God is big and we are small. We could come to the conclusion that God is love, and in our state, we are born sinners. Both people on the different sides of this. I have met Arminians, I have met Calvinists, I have met those in between, and you could have wonderful discussions with some of them. You could also have horrible discussions. But something that we want to encourage with the Restructure podcast, what, what God is leading us, He is encouraging independent Baptists. I'm not saying to embrace one or the other, but instead of saying a blanket statement that is very watered down, and you attack a Calvinist or you attack an Arminian and you say, well, this is them and you group them all together, I feel you do a disservice to brothers. This may rub people the wrong way. I do not intend to lose friends. I intend to find truth and encourage others to do the same. So please, as we dive into this discussion, we are going to tackle the tulips. By no means does that mean we are going to come out knowing all. 
but we are going to let God show us how we can discuss some things in Scripture that we have questions about. And we can discuss them in sincerity and in truth without an agenda being thrust upon us that we can search out and learn more about God. Thank you so much for joining, and be sure to join us in this next podcast. If you have a question, please email me at therestructurepodcast at gmail.com. That is T-H-E, restructurepodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question that you would like asked to an Arminian or a Calvinist, please do so in the next few days, and I will be able to submit those, and hopefully we can have those answered. Thank you so much, and God bless. is an affiliate of Ambassadors Across America.